It is Friday the 23rd of August 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 54 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. On today's episode, we have part two of the two-part conversation I had with Andrew Page. This episode is coming from the past because as you are listening to this, I'm most likely on a beach in Fiji, probably reading a book and probably sipping some Fiji bitter. Although, if you're listening in the morning, I I certainly hope not. (laughs) One thing is for sure, the, the stock market and podcasting is far away from my mind. Anyway, Andrew, as I introduced last week, has over 20 years of experience in the financial markets and is the founder and managing director of strawman.com. I urge you to head when you get the chance to strawman.com and check out what Andrew is doing. It's some really innovative stuff and particularly interesting if you perhaps want to have a look at some stocks in ASX. So in part two, we talk a bit more about what we were originally meant to talk about and that is the ASX. But then we quickly digress from the ASX and get back into investing theory. It seems Andrew and I have a bit in common when it comes to talking about investing theory. So now, as per last week, Andrew is based in Australia, and as you know, I am in New Zealand, so we recorded the conversation over the phone. So for this this reason, there are some moments where the quality is a bit dodgy and is a bit crackly, but I urge you to, to listen past this, and some of the stuff Andrew is talking about is of the highest quality. Anyway, we will pick this up from the middle of the conversation. Absolutely. Okay, so initially, we were going to come on to the show, bring you on as a ASX expert, but I see we <laughs> half an hour just talking about um, stock market theory, which is which is fantastic. <laughs> so, in terms of the ASX, t- tell it. I mean, we're obviously an NZX podcast here, but we do have a lot. A lot of the investors will also invest in the ASX. So, give us a, a quick rundown of the ASX in, in Australia and. How, how the market's made up and, and what sort of things we should see. Uh, okay, sure. Um, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to give you exact, but you know, basically there's, there's about 2,000 listed companies on the ASX. Um, you've got, in terms of the major index here, the All Ordinaries or the ASX S&P 200. Um, you've so that's got the equivalent the of the NZX 50 in New Zealand for those that don't know. Yeah, so it's it's the major one that gets quoted on the news every night. And so the All Lords has close to 500 companies in it, but it is weighted by market cap or, or the size of the market value, total market value of the business. And um, our indices, our market, are dominated by the big four banks, BHP and Rio. And I think collectively that alone makes up 40%. So um, when you see these indices rise and fall, it, it's very, I mean, a BHP has a bad day, the market's going to have a bad day more often than not. Um, the other thing you need to be aware of with our market is that it is out of that 2000, I think I'm going to forget the exact number, but there's a very large percentage of that is mining companies. Yeah. Um, Australians love to dig holes and pull out very little and waste a huge amount of capital in the process. Um, uh, particularly in Perth. Sorry. Sorry to all my Perth mates. Um, uh, and for whatever reason, that's, that's just the nature of the market. Having said that, like any market, there um, there's some real hidden gems in there. We've we've got some, uh, you know, I very much like technology companies. We've got some little small cap companies in this space that are genuine world leaders because the nature of these markets are very niche and very fragmented. And um, you know, uh, we 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 punch above our weight just just as you Kiwis do. I think when when you look at the global capital scene, 
Um, but the beauty is, is that there's, there's a wonderful, that you, you are spoiled for choice. And given that you, I would argue pretty strongly that I, I think it's, it's pointless to have more than 20 companies in your portfolio if you're, if you're a direct investor, mm. um, you can be very fussy. If you only need to pick 20 out of 2,000, you know, you, you, can, you, can, you can discard 99 for every 100 companies you look at. Um, I think I got the maths right there, um, but you know what I mean. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You, you, can, you can be fussy, and there's some, there's some great stocks on our market. Because when I cast my eye over the ASX, for example, and this is just me personally because I'm no mining expert, but a, a lot of those, the vast majority of the market is straight away uninvestable for me because yep. a, a I don't understand mining and and B, just because the, the numbers that most of these companies put out are, are, are pretty mediocre. But you mentioned the, the, the tech space there a second ago. Mm. And I know that the, the wider performance of technology companies in Australia over the last couple of years have been pretty strong, hasn't it? Fantastic. It's been <laughs> yeah. a great time to be a tech investor. Yeah. Um, so, what, what sort of, is, is there any particular companies or, or, or names that maybe some listeners in New Zealand should keep an eye out for in the tech space in Australia? Look, I'll give you some names, but let, let me just let me lay this out in advance. Um, I'm always, I'm always, I, I've been doing this for a long time, Jeremy. And mm. um, whenever I sort of speak about stocks, you know, um, I, I'm always worried that that people take that the wrong way. For starters, you know. If it goes well, I don't get any credit. <laughs> it's your own genius. And if it goes bad, I, I get all the blame. Um, so that's the first thing. And I think more importantly, Andrew, I know exactly how you feel. I can, I can, I don't think I've ever mentioned a name of the stock on a podcast that I actually own for that reason. <laughs> it, it's, 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 an, the reason is too is, is that when, when the tough, if you run out and buy it because you heard it on a podcast and you know it seemed to make sense, when the tough times come and they'll come, they'll guaranteed to come. You've got nothing to base that on other than I heard some guy mention on a podcast. And therefore, you'll have no conviction and you won't be able to do the right thing. So you, you, need, to, you need to really own... And when the stock drops, who do you blame? You know, and, and the other thing is, I said before, when it, without a word of a lie, you know, I've, I've had some, like any investor who's been doing it for a while, I've had, I've had my share of some winners. I mean, some really great winners. But I can guarantee you that they, you know, a lot of them, most of them, in fact, spend, you know, a lot of time not doing much for the first yeah. six to 12 months and, and perhaps fell a lot further as well. So you can be right eventually, but look like an idiot for a long, long, long time. So there's, there's my big caveat. Maybe instead of mentioning names, maybe we can talk about what sort of thing you're looking for for you as an investment. Yeah, and okay, what sort so, of things so, you're looking for into, in a company. Well, I, I look for these things... Um, that I'll describe, and, and, and you'll see why I like the technology space, because technology companies tend to um, uh, have these characteristics. So the, the first thing, we, we talked before about the importance of value. Um, value ultimately derives from the cash flows of a business, and the more reliable, the more predictable those cash flows, the more reliable and predictable your valuation would be. Yeah. Now, when you've got a mining services company, for example, or any kind of services type business, maybe it's a building contractor, um, that is highly, highly cyclical. It is really tough to know what those businesses are going to be earning next year. They, they might have a whole bunch of orders come in or things might really dry up. So it's very, very hard to predict. When you've got a business like, well, Kiwi business like Zero, for example, where you've got a very high percentage of recurring revenue, just long, you know, customers 
with long lifetime values that, that are just paying their, their monthly subscriptions month in, month out, you can really accurately estimate what cash flows are going to be at a minimum going so forward. So zero used to be on the NZX, on the ASX now. Yeah. <laughs> company, by the way, fantastic company. Um, I know another Kiwi company I'm quite fond of is Pushpay. Um, mm. It's a payment app for, for the faith sector. Um, same kind of thing. Um, very reliable. Uh, cash so flows. When, when you talk about cash flows, just to use Zero as an example, not picking on them in any way, but as far as as far as I'm aware, Zero hasn't produced any positive cash flows. There, how, how do you? And obviously, nothing wrong with not producing positive cash flows because you may in the future. But how do you go about predicting that? I believe it has. I believe it has now. Oh, um, with it Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Recently, it's sort of tipped into that um, uh, prof, uh, positive uh, operating. But still, that's taken a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. And and look, you, you need when you're when you have negative operating cash flow, the only thing that keeps the lights on is if you've got access debt or you can. So at some point, you know. Um, those sources might not be there and mm. if they're not there the whole business becomes you know it was a liquidity crisis and, and, and they collapse so, so you don't need debt or money from shareholders is what you're saying you, you do and so yeah. that, that puts it in a risky risky category however and this is again back to Amazon the prime example and Zero prosecuted this particularly especially well as they understand nature of the market and the industry, the structural shift that's on the way. There is very much a land grab in a lot of these industries and it's a winner take all kind of market, you know. So mm. there's not if you're if you're third or fourth, you're you're probably last. Um, so you 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 want to be you want to be prudent with how you manage the business, but your your the value in these companies tends to come on what they look like in ten years' time, not what cash flow is going to be next year. And, and I think a lot of, of people overlook that because you might have a company that's going to lose, I'm just making up numbers, that a million dollars every year for the next 10 years, but then in its 10th year make $200 million. Now that's, that's obviously worth something, isn't it? It, it? it absolutely is. Now look, you still have to look at the balance sheet. Can, can they sustain themselves if, if things mm. get tough in, in the interim? Um, do they have a good shareholder base that they, that they can reliably tap? Are they caught, what are, what's, more importantly, what's the money being spent on? I mean, the, the CEO is the chief capital allocator. They're an investor more than anything else. They set the strategic direction or the board sets the strategic direction. They're given a task and, and off they go. They've got to allocate funds now. Are they plowing all that into marketing or all into R&D? Is there a big, thick, fat cost base? You know, it's this old saying, the thicker the, the carpet, the thinner the dividend, you know? So, so, so they, how, how are they spending this money? Um, if they're making very sensible, strategic, long-term investments with this, you know, really building the world's best software and getting some very smart, capable sales and marketing uh, efforts together to help spread the word and grow the business, then by all means, you know, I don't care about whether you make a profit or not this year, you know, grab, grab that massive US market, you know, uh, win over in the UK, make sure you cement and solidify your position in the Asia Pacific. With long term, that's going to be far, far better. So, um, yeah, you would, you would probably say as well that the company that over the next 10 years is, go, that is going to make $20 million a year increasing at 5% per annum is probably easier to value, isn't it? It is. And, and there's a nice rule of thumb. You can kind of sort of estimate the top line. You said, well, a business like this might tend to have a 20% net margin. You know, a thumb suck it. That means their profit should be about this in 10 years' time. 
market for a company like that growing at a rate like that probably deserves a price earnings multiple of 20 say or x you know and, and then i can draw a line back to that but i'm i'm, I'm building it all on on assumptions it's all it's garbage in garbage out so you've got to be careful with them but if you make some pretty conservative sensible ones and you sort of back you you work back from there again trying to be generally right as opposed to specifically wrong it gives you it gives you a useful anchor point okay so um, you said to me there that the first thing that you're looking for is an ability to predict the future cash flows, whether it's going to be lumpy or whether it's going to be in a right. straight line or whether they're going to come in 10 years or now. It's your ability to predict the cash flows is the first thing. What else are you looking for? Yeah, so by the way, that's always going to be hard, even for these businesses, but it's, it's easier. So degrees of difficulty here. Um, I also like tech companies because they tend to have very scalable businesses. So if you look at Zero, for example, let's say for whatever reason, another 100, uh, let's say another 10 million customers show up tomorrow. Well, you know, you don't have to build you know, a whole bunch of extra units or widgets. You know, mm. it's, it's, there, there is zero incremental cost for you for all those users to log on. Maybe there's a very, very small added server charge or something like that. Mm. So you can infinitely scale your product up. Beyond that, a lot of these businesses have these wonderful network effects, which means that their service or product becomes even more valuable the more people that use it. The classic example is Visa or eBay, um, and Zero is, is another great example of, of that as well. It, it is more valuable the more nodes that are on that network. And software businesses can do all of this kind of stuff. Mm. Now, when you're talking about things, particularly, I mean, software is a very broad term, but you can, if you're talking about some particular grade um, software systems, they often tend to be, in fact, in many, most circumstances, they tend to be tightly, tightly embedded, mission critical features within an organization. So let's, let's, say, let's say the world economy goes into a funk and we have another global depression. You know, uh, these businesses aren't going to turn around and say, you know what, we don't need payroll anymore. They're either in business, in which case they'll continue to pay, um, or they're out of business. Now, that doesn't mean these companies are immune to it. That, well, maybe they have less customers. They sell, um, they sell less to, to new ones. Um, some of their customers do go bankrupt. But it, but it is far more reliable than the, than the person who might be selling, I don't know, um, Maseratis or something, where you know, as soon as it gets a bit scary out there, no one's, no one's buying these highly discretionary items. These are, these are, these are essential mission-critical items. So you wash all of that together, sticky business, highly recurring reliable um, revenues, um, infinite scalability, and, and you just have, you just have a, a machine that, that, that potentially gushes cash. Now, unfortunately, Jeremy, this is no great secret. Everyone knows this, and they're highly competitive markets. So what you've got to do is you've got to sort of, and all of them, you can, you can look at all these tech companies on the ASX, NZX, and anywhere, and they've all got these wonderful pitch decks that tell you, that, you know, there's a $400 billion market opportunity, and if we capture just 2%, we're going to be, yeah. you know... It, it, so you, you, you've then got to sort of work out the likelihood that they will actually execute on this potential. And so so I, I, while I'm happy to invest in companies that might not yet be cash flow positive, I want to actually see that they've got some sales traction, that mm -hmm. people are using it, that, that they're growing that user base strongly. 
Um, and they're, they're managing to grow the business in a way where there's no point in growing your, your sales at you know 30% each year if your costs are growing at 40%, which happens more often than you'd expect as well. Yeah, so I agree. There's a lot of nuance in all of that, but, but I think they're the main reasons why I like technology companies. The scalability is, is just is an aside, is the, is the reason why we've seen some of the biggest companies in the world literally come from nowhere to be there, like your, your Googles and your Facebooks, for example, where you know, 20 years ago, some of them may not have even existed. Whereas yep. something like maybe an old, one of the older names like General Motors, for them to scale everywhere in the world, it, it, it takes an awful lot of work. Um, on the... Just sort of drawing off what you said a second ago, what would you, just in a, in a broad sort of space, if I look at some of these tech names, they've obviously had, in Australia, as a generalisation, they've obviously had a fantastic run. Mm. Um, what would you sort of say in, in general, how do, you, how do you feel about some of the valuations in, in, in that space? Because no matter how wonderful, and I'm quoting Charlie Munger, no matter how wonderful the company, it's not worth an infinite price. I, I use that one all the time. I love it. Yeah, I love brilliant. that quote. Um, um, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's I, I, bordering on insane in some cases. So there'll be, there'll be some companies out there which just objectively are phenomenal businesses. I mean, there's, there's no point in arguing otherwise. Yeah. You know, I think WiseTech is wonderful. I think Altium is wonderful. Um, I think Prometicus is wonderful. Um, you know, they're, they're, all of these names um, are fantastic. Afterpay, even, you know, despite it's, it's a fairly polarizing stock, but it's a pretty great business that they've got there uh, at the core of it. But the trouble is, is that the valuations look high, and they don't look high just because the share price has gone up. It's entirely possible for the share price to go up and for value to improve. Absolutely. You know, if, yep. if the share price has doubled, but the profit of potential of a business is quadrupled, well, you know, it's, it's better value than it was. So I'm not saying it's expensive because the share price has gone up. Um, course, and I'm not yeah. necessarily saying it's expensive because a lot of these companies, people, particularly value-oriented investors, um, of which I've got a huge degree of sympathy. I, I'd actually classify myself as value at, uh, at, at core. I think no matter what you're doing, you need, you need to sort of that value mindset. But, but a lot of people will sort of say, oh, look, the P is on 80, therefore it, it's ridiculous. Well, if they're, if they're deferring profitability in this land grab, as we were talking about before, and you're going to pass a, um, an inflection point where, where as you pass break even, your, you know, your profitability starts growing at a very, very rapid rate. For a, with, and if you've got a long runway and you're able to sustain that for a while, a P of 80 might actually be dirt cheap for a business like that. So that doesn't make it expensive either. But, but what makes it expensive is, so for example, I'll, I'll out myself here. I've got shares in Prometicus. In fact, it's my largest holding and has been for a while. Um, they're an ASX listed company that do medical imaging software. P, PME and, is the ticker code, isn't it? Peter Mother Echo. P, P, yeah, that's right, yes, PME. Um, yeah. So I actually started buying at 86 cents and it got to $33 not, not long ago. Um, which is great. It's been great, you know, and I've been selling along the way just for, for portfolio management reasons. And I always had do you Do you regret selling retrospectively? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> 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 if I had a time machine, I sort of, you know, borrowed, borrowed as much money as I could from the bank and, and put it all on, on, on that one stock. But you, you don't, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where you look in hindsight and think that the decision was the right one. In, mm. out to, well, I didn't, I, I could never have known the extent to which it was going to run. 
And if I didn't do anything, I'd be talking to you today with a portfolio weighting of 80% or something, which just isn't, isn't sensible to do. So, um, but the reason I, I'm not, I'm not trying to bag because there's, there's plenty of other stocks that have done the opposite to that. But, um, the, the point is, is that. But just, just to clarify, so people won't run in there and buy in it's just because you said it, you're not necessarily buying it today, are you? No, in fact, I've been selling um, a lot more lately. And, and, and the reason I'm, I'm sort of, it's a long run up here, but, but the point is, it's, it's not pure PEs, it's not where the price was. It's because the assumptions that are built into the share price, to me, don't make sense. So, you know, I, I start by sort of saying, well, what are their sales? The market opportunity and how fast can they grow? Well, I'm not... I'm not giving this the light touch. I'm assuming extraordinarily strong sales growth for a very extended period of time. I, I don't have my model in front of me, so I won't, I won't quote any numbers, but, but I'm, not, I'm not being timid here. And I'm assuming that they'll scale very, very well and that their margins will continue to grow. Um, and I'm, I'm also assuming that they'll have a great deal of pricing power as well. And all of this stuff, I'm folding all of this stuff in and I'm still finding it very difficult to justify the price. Um, I always try to think that way as well. If I see a stock and it's not, it doesn't have to be a highly valued stock, but I sort of ask the question is, what do they actually have to do to justify this valuation? Yeah, exactly. So, you, so people say, oh, they're going to be really you know, big in, in, that in the future. Well, how big? And let's assume that they are. And let's assume that the market continues to value them in a very favorable way. What share price does that lead you to and, and when? And and how does that how look in relation to today's to share price? By the current share price, yeah. You know, so they, they could be there at a I think from memory is a price to sales ratio of fifty. So they could be on an which is very high. They could be on a very high price to sales ratio in ten years time after very very strong growth, and still and still be at a price that's that's not too much above today. So the the risk reward proposition isn't fantastic. So they um, they have what you're saying there. I like to think this way as well. Is they have to have a hundred percent margins. To have a price to earnings ratio of fifty, uh, or you're going to test me now? What, what it's, it's, I really it's fair enough. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? It, it just sort of illustrates how big a price to sales ratio of fifty is. Yeah, yeah. It, it just it, it just it just means that they not only not only do they have to do well, well, the market's expecting them to do really well, so they have to do better than incredibly well, and <laughs> yeah. they can't make any mistakes along the way. You know what I mean, and, and and we know that that generally doesn't happen. So, so for me, it's it's a time to not calling for. I've got no idea what shares are going to do tomorrow, um, but the the risk reward proposition isn't there. So I bide my time. I look for something else that's got a better better um, trade off on those two variables, and I wait for the market to give it to me. Hey, well, I have to say, I've never bought a share for eighty cents that I've been able to sell for thirty dollars. So. Well done on it's that. A first, it's a first for me too. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Hey, so just before we sort of moving on, I, I introduced you at the start as Andrew Page from Strawman.com. What is Strawman.com? Okay, so we're a social network for investors. So it's kind of like think Facebook, but but for but for shares. So built by investors for investors. Um, there's a real I think lack um, of quality online meeting places for investors to get together. So people use Twitter, they use Facebook. There's a big site over in Australia called Hot Copper, which is a traditional kind of forum. Um, and they're wonderful in bringing people together, but the problem that 
as we see it, is that there was no accountability, which is a which is a very big thing, mm. and it's it's also a very messy place as well. There's not much structure, so we, we wanted we wanted to bring both of those things to the conversation, so that if you dial up a particular company, I can see that, like Reddit, I can see the most highly endorsed bits of content. So we ask people to you know post so endorsed by other members of the platform. So if you post something. And you, so I can I can get on there and I can say I think ProMedicus is a great company because this this and this and people can go oh that's rubbish or I agree with that, and we we sort it. So when you when you go onto a company page, you can see everything and everyone's entitled to write whatever they like. Mm-hmm. But what you tend to see is you see the, the most highly endorsed content first. So it saves you having to 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 scroll through ten thousand different threads. A lot of a lot of the time being relating to things that are no longer relevant. So it almost sounds like, like a track record, is that right? For well, the other thing, the other thing that we want these random people online, or you know, who is this person? Can I? Do they deserve to be taken seriously? So when you you can make recommendations on Scoreman on Scoreman, and we can track that against the market and track that against the community. So over time, people build up credibility. And you you know who to pay attention to, mm. and it's not just in terms of raw performance, but also in terms of how much they contribute, how how people engage with the content. So we're we're a meritocracy here, unashamedly. We're basically saying that not all users of our platform are equal. Not not to be not to be elitist or anything like that. But we're saying that if if you want to be, you've, you've got to build your status within the community. And those that have have done, there's no way to cheat the system. You know, you, you've actually got to, you've got to be, develop a, a scorecard and a track record in real time. You've got to genuinely earn the the endorsement mm. of your of your fellow fellow members. But it, but it means that you start to very easily, in fact, designed in a way such that you can determine who are the the the, the things to and who are those people who perhaps you know get need to be taken with a grain of salt. So. We're really we're really crowdsourcing investment research and recommendations. So in, traditionally, there'd be a, um, there's a lot of newsletters out there. So you buy that. There'd be a few analysts who'll tell you what they think you should buy or sell. Well, we're crowdsourcing that to the community. We're giving the community tools to sort of say, and we've got it's the same as it is in, in New Zealand. There's a very um, disparate but very strong community of private investors, people who have other day jobs or other interests, but they're very passionate experienced private investors and we're giving them a platform to sort of get together share their ideas and and just debate it constructively it's called straw man because we think the best way to improve an investment idea is to challenge it um not because we're trying to start arguments but you know you're either right or you're wrong with your investment thesis and it's far better that you determine that before the and and we're really just trying to build an online venue that has the tools and resources to enable that to happen in a collaborative, helpful, friendly, easy to navigate, accountable fashion. Fantastic. And obviously the website address is strawman.com. It's free for people to sign up, isn't it? Yeah, look, we really only just come out of, out of beta testing. So we only launched um, in, uh, geez, when was it? I think June last year. Uh, we've gone through several iterations. We've added more features. It's entirely free. Um, just recently, we got some funding from a venture capital firm, which oh, well, is going to yeah. help us sort of build up our resources and just accelerate the pace of development. Um, but we're really stoked. I mean, we haven't done any 
because the, the first challenge is really just to build the technology. Mm. Um, but just through word of mouth, we're just we're about to knock on the door of about 4,000 members. Um, we've got a very highly engaged cohort of members within that as well, so that we, we know that um, at least half of our members visit the platform at least once a month and a quarter on there every week. Um, so it, it, it's, it's been really, really encouraging. We're super happy with the results, but we're just at the beginning of this journey here. So we're, we're, we're rolling out new features all the time and we're, we're hoping the community continues to grow. And as I mentioned before, that, that network effect, you know, it, it, we can have the best technology in the world, but if no one's, so the fact we've got people on there, um, the community consensus, which we call the straw man index, which, which tracks the performance of our most popular recommendation, is absolutely crushing the market, which is real testament to the, to the caliber of investors that we've got on there. So if you like to, if you like to sort of meet like-minded people and test your ideas, um, if you'd like to sort of get some inspiration from some other experienced investors, check it out. And being, it's ASX focused at the moment as well, isn't it? Yeah, look, so we, we, we chose to use a data provider. We use Standard & Poor's as our data provider. Now, we could have got yeah. much deeper data, but we very intentionally went with them because that means that once, once we can sort of, I'll say when, not if, when we um, ourselves in the ASX, we can roll out to other markets very quickly because they, they offer uh, access to global markets. So we That's can do the scalability you talked about earlier. Yeah, you've got, to, you've got to build that in from the start. It, it might be a little bit of arrogance there, but, but we, we have built that in from the start. So my hope is is that once we kind of sort of demonstrate um, the model, um, we will roll it out to other markets. So that would be a great place for all the NZX investors listening that may want to find out a bit more about the ASX, a, a great place for them to go start, right? Oh, I'm, I'm not going to argue with that, mate. Look, it, 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 the, the <laughs> value of proposition is really simple. If you want, if you want some, um, you want to get some investment ideas from people that have a, a proven track record. If you want a place where you can kind of engage with other investors and share your own thing, um, it's it's just a, it's an online community. I, I often describe it to my friends as a as an investment club. Um, but rather than us all sitting around, you know, meeting up on a Tuesday night and sitting around my my dinner table, we're, we're all meeting online, and um, it's a great community. They're very welcoming. We find that most people tend to be um, uh, voyeuristic as opposed to active posters. So uh, a lot of people just they're happy to sort of soak up the information that other people are providing. So there's no there's no obligation that you need to start making recommendations. Uh, I want to throw your hat into the ring. We'd really welcome that as well. Um, we're very forgiving. You can reset at any stage. We're not about punishment and and you know all of that kind of stuff. We're really we're really just about helping people to build status and a profile in, in a way that, that's helpful to them and to others. Fantastic. So there's obviously strawman.com people can go to, but where else can people go to find out more about you? Uh, I think Twitter's a good place. The uh, handle there is at sage underscore Simeon, S-A-G-E underscore S-I-M-I-A-N. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on there fairly regularly. Fantastic. Good stuff. Right, and that is where the conversation ended. Thanks very much for listening in. Later on today, I'll be on the plane 
back from Fiji and I'll, I'll pick up a, a new episode for next week. So thanks again for listening in. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Andrew. You know, we had some we had a great conversation and I hope one day to get him back on the podcast. As a reminder that nothing that I said today should be considered financial advice. If you're looking to find out more about the podcast, go to www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give it a like by searching on Facebook. Make sure also to share with your friends. If you want to email me, it is jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin and this has been episode 54 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday the 23rd of August 2019. I'll see you all again next week.